Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. So I want you to follow me to Psalms 57. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's really short. I'm reading now the ESV translation. You can follow along in your notes. It says this, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. To the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that your word is alive. Your word speaks. Your word is truth. Your word cuts. Your word restores. Your word heals. Your word uproots and rebuilds. We thank you for your word this morning. Father, let it be your words that we hear and not mine. Let it be your voice and not mine this morning. I pray that we learn and we grow and we are challenged and we receive from you this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said today, amen. Amen. This is an amazing psalm. I love it. I could spend three, four weeks just breaking down this psalm. I'm going to do my best to keep it short and sweet for you today. But you have to notice a few things in this psalm. Number one, David repeats himself a lot. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you say something, you know, especially us brown people, we like to go, you hear me? You hear me? You know, like we say, we repeat ourselves a lot. David's doing that right here. He's repeating himself a lot. He's like, look, man, uh, be merciful to me. No, no, no. Be merciful to me. Right? He's repeating it. He did it several times throughout this psalm. He talks about 
issues he's going through. He talks about storms he's going through. He talks about people he's dealing with, difficult situations he's dealing with. He's talking about difficult people he's dealing with. He's talking about how they dug a pit for him. He's talking about how they're lying about him. He's talking about how they're talking behind their back about him. He's talking about all this stuff. Anybody feel me yet? Anybody gone through some of that before? Right? Where you just felt like people are against you, situations are against you, struggles are against you, all these things may be coming against you and you're not sure what to do. Well, David tells you exactly what to do take refuge in the Lord. Your soul might feel like it's lying on a bed of fiery beasts, but take refuge in the Lord. Your soul might feel like your enemies have teeth that are sharp as spears. But he says, be exalted, O God. See, David's response to every situation, every circumstance, every heartache, every pain, his response was always being exalting of the Lord. I'll give you an example. You all know the story of David and Saul, right? You have King Saul. He was... Man's choice, not God's choice. Israel is begging God to give them a king because they wanted to be like other nations. You see, Israel was ruled by a theocracy, not a monarchy, not a democracy. Israel was ruled by a theocracy, meaning God led them and God alone. They saw other nations having a king, a monarchy. They saw other nations doing things different. They cried out to Samuel the prophet, tell God we want to be like them. God finally got tired of hearing all this stuff. So he said, fine, pick your king. And they picked King Saul. Samuel anointed Saul. And Saul was good for about five minutes. And then the power corrupted him. Because that's what happens to kings when they're not chosen by God. And so David was the guy that killed Goliath for Saul. He solved one of Saul's biggest problems. Nobody would fight Goliath. Nobody in the military, not Saul himself. Here comes David bringing cheese to his brothers. He's coming, watch out with the queso dip. He's saying, let's eat, bro. And then he sees like, who's that talking? Who's that talking? I hear somebody talking. And it's, Goliath yelling profanities at the nation of Israel, yelling profanities about God, mocking God. And David's like, how come y'all aren't taking care of this? There was a righteousness inside of David. He's like, how come y'all aren't dealing with this? And Saul was like, well, nobody wants to go fight him. David said, I'll fight him. And then they try to put his armor. You know the story. David kills Goliath. Goes on. To marry Saul's daughter, goes on to lead countless victories for Israel, goes on to be one of the most notable warriors in history, bottom line. And Saul becomes jealous of David. He starts to hate David. He starts to want to kill David. In fact, he attempted to assassinate him twice. Each time David kept serving Saul, no matter what. Here's what happened. David begins to run from Saul. At a certain point, it got too heavy. It got too much. It got too intense. 
David realized, I have to run now. I can't stick around. If I'm going to survive, I have to just leave. And so David was running from Saul. Yet inside, David remembers an event. Way before he killed Goliath, way before he ever won a victory, God told Samuel, go anoint David as king of Israel. He's my choice, not Saul. David's like 12 or 13. He's serving a king that he knows he's going to dethrone one day. And he continues to serve him. And he continues to serve him. And he continues to serve him. All while he's being attempted to kill him, he's still serving him. But then it got too heavy. And he says, I finally need to just leave so inside, David knows he's the king that Saul is not. David doesn't fight nor harm Saul, even though he's capable of taking out Saul like that. He's skilled at killing. He's capable. He chose not to. He even had the right to because of the degradation that Saul fell into. Saul eventually went and consulted a witch called the Witch of Endor, and was in all kinds of deep witchcraft at some point. He lost his way. He lost his connection with God. David had every right to defend himself and to take out Saul, and he chose not to every step of the way. David ultimately did this. He maintained proper relationship with Saul because he maintained his proper relationship with God. And this is where we sit this morning. How is David surviving all of this? How is David in the wilderness fleeing, running, scared, but still trusting in God? How is David not retaliating? I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be as chill as David. Somebody come at me, I'm going to get into it, okay? I remember last weekend, we were out at uh, Hurricane Alley. Uh, for Cheryl's birthday party, it was Cheryl Malachi's birthday. Me and the family, it was my mom, my sister, my niece, my nephew, my boys, my wife. We're all out there, and these punk kids start, like, wrestling in the pool, in the wave pool. Okay, there's like a thousand people in the wave pool. There's, like, no room to be doing that. And they're, like, throwing each other around running and one of them throws the other on top of Malachi on top of his back bro I lost it I lost it and it was funny because my mom was right there with me <laughs> we were just like you better blah, 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 blah. and they were like it was an accident I'm like no blah, blah. and I was like man I'm about to lose it on this kid <laughs> I said I need to walk away right now I'll see you later <laughs> Because I was like, man, two seconds from catching a case. I mean, it was pretty bad. I was like, nah, bro, this, this punk kid, I'm about to, mm, you know. And the thing was, he was mouthing back, too. He was like, what's up, bro? It was just an accident, bro. I was like, bro, you better watch who you're talking to. Better watch how you're talking to me, bro. You don't even know. I, mean, I wanted to so bad, and I was like, yeah, think like David, bro. Think like David, bro. I was like, how did, how did David hold back 
When one swipe of the sword could have solved his problem, he could have immediately went to the throne. He could have immediately took his place, and it would have been fine. He would have been in the right. But his relationship with God, his proper relationship with the Lord, would not allow him to taint his relationship with man. need you to follow me this morning. Our moral issues as a nation, we have a lot of them, okay? Tons of moral issues right now in our nation. Our moral issues as a nation, our moral issues as a human race is a result of an interruption of relationship with God and with each other. Somewhere along the way, we stopped loving God properly, and so we stopped loving each other properly. And so now everybody's doing this all the time. And nobody has any filter. Nobody has any guard. Nobody has any control over their speech anymore. Nobody has any control of what they say, what they post. Nobody has any control with their emotions. Everyone's off the rails because our world has lost relationship proper relationship with God and with each other. And David is a prime example of how to maintain relationship with God and with each other. Because what he's saying in this psalm is it's not up to me to defeat my enemies. It's not up to me to solve this problem. It's not up to me to defend myself, even though I'm more than capable of defending myself. It's up to me to rely on you, O oh God. It's up to me to exalt you, O oh God. It's up to me to take refuge in you. You see, David understood something that we have a hard time understanding, that when things get tough, you go to him deeper you rely more on him. But he's already in a place before the trial of closeness and nearness to God. And because he's already in that place, when the storm comes, he knows exactly how to respond. You follow me at this morning. Salvation is an example of the restoration of that relationship. Salvation is a picture of this. So somebody's lost, they're in the world, they're in sin, they're doing whatever they want to. All of a sudden they meet Jesus, they recognize their need for a savior. They accept him as their Lord and savior. They come to the Lord, they accept Christ, and now everything about them changes. That's an example of the restoration taking place of relationship between God and man. But it doesn't stop there. You see, after you're saved, after you start following God, after you said yes, now it's what else in your life can you surrender to him? Because let's be honest, there's some stuff we learned growing up that we shouldn't have learned. There's some behaviors we picked up growing up that we shouldn't have picked up. And now we've got to surrender all those things to the Lord. We find it difficult to adjust our lives to the nature of God. We really do. Because our world has conditioned us that you go and get what's yours, you know? 
You go and get what's yours. You fight and you scrape for what's yours. Whatever you got to do, whoever you got to step on in the process, that's what you do. And nobody has any honor anymore. Nobody has any integrity anymore. But I see a people of God who want to live a righteous life, who want to live a life of integrity, who want to live a life of righteousness. That's how I want to do things. I hope that's how you want to do things. I hope that's how you want to proceed in life. The more you desire God, the more you realize that he is not the one that needs to change. Think about that. God doesn't need to change. In fact, he's very clear. I do not change. (laughs) That's what he said. I am the Lord. I do not change. If you come to me, you're the one that needs to change. It's very clear that we're the ones that need to change. It's, it's us, you know. He's the center of everything. He's the mark. He's the goal. He's the prize. He's the frame of reference. He is the point where we look at and say, that is what I want to aspire to. We look at Jesus as an example on the earth and we say, that is what I want to aspire to. And we adjust our lives to his point of view. We don't ask God to adjust his point of view to our lives. That makes no sense. We have to adjust our lives to his point of view. We have to adjust our mindset to his point of view. We have to learn to see things the way he sees things. So I got a question for you. How do we change? It's all good, Matt. Sounds great. Got to change. Yeah, praise God. Cool. How do we do it? How do we do it? How do we change? How do we go from where we're at right now to where we need to be? How do we change? So first of all, our mission statement as a church, say it with me. We exist to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Let's do it again. We exist to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. So the first step to understanding this is that we have to learn that we want people to encounter Jesus first. Not our idea. Everybody has great ideas. I come up about 30 before breakfast. Oh, yeah, what if we do that? What if we do that? Jesus. No, no. At At the very core of everything, we want people to encounter Jesus first. That's it. Because it's him that does the changing. I don't do the changing. I make suggestions. I tell you you're wrong. You know, whatever. But he's the one that changes you. He's the one that changes you. I'm not the one that changes you. I can't change you. I don't have that kind of power. I can't even change me. He's the one that changes you. So that's the first step. Understand Every single person in here, me included, our first desire should be to encounter Jesus. That's the first desire. Because when you encounter Jesus, you begin to change. When you encounter the Lord, when you talk to him, when you pray, when you seek him, when you read your Bible and you actually go, help, that's when you start to change. Or you begin to see 
Your eyes open and you begin to see just how far off you really are. Right? And you recognize what the center is and you're like, dude, I'm way over here somewhere. We need to get back over here. I need to get back over here. It's like the story of the prodigal son. Y'all remember the story of the prodigal son? He had everything. Everything he could want. He was the younger of two brothers. He was good-looking, much like yours truly. He was rich, and he wanted his inheritance, and he wanted to bounce. He wanted to go. He said, Dad, I'm tired of this place. I'm tired of serving here, tired of living here, tired of eating here. The servants aren't good enough here for me. Give me my inheritance. I'm ready to go. His father was like, really? Why would you want to do that? It's okay. I want my inheritance. I want to go. I want to go live my life. He takes his inheritance. His father reluctantly gives him his inheritance. He takes his inheritance. Older brother stays behind, continues to work, continues to serve, continues to be a son. The younger son leaves, and he goes and spends it. And he spends it on everything under the sun, man. He spends it uh, on food. He spends it on clothes. He spends it on girls. He does everything possible. He runs out of money, ends up becoming a hired hand in a pig farm. In that culture, the lowest position in their culture was someone who took care of pigs. He got from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. He's there, he's taking care of pigs, and then they take his shoes from him. And then they don't pay him. And he wakes up one day and realizes, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. He realizes he has no food. He has no money. He has no clothes. He's tending the pigs. So he began to eat what the pigs eat to survive. All because he broke relationship with his father. All because he thought, this place doesn't suit me. They're not changing for me. So I need to leave. And there he goes, he leaves. And he thinks... He thinks he knows best until he's eating what pigs eat. And he recognizes in that moment, even my, my father's servants had food. Even my father's servants had clothes and a house. I'm going to go back to my father and just apologize. And hopefully he'll take me on as a servant somewhere in his property. And he runs back to his father. And he's almost home. And the father is waiting for him. And from a distance, he sees him. And the father starts running towards his son. Another interesting aspect of the story is that in that culture, Jewish elder men did not run. It was a sign of dishonor. They were not to be in a hurry for anything. It was a sign of authority to stand put. He broke all the stigmas of his culture. He threw down everything. He saw his son and he ran to him. 
gave him a kiss, hugged him. This dude is filthy. He's dirty. He's naked. He's hungry. I made a mistake. Can I come home and simply be a servant? And the father said, be quiet. I'm not even listening to that. No, you are my son. And today we're going to throw a party because my son is home. And this story is such a clear picture of what relationship with God looks like. Because relationship with God is where your heart should always remain. Without relationship with God, you leave. You're on your own. You end up at the bottom before you know it. You end up without nothing before you know it. And it's so easy to just come to church and say, I did my part. But man, if you don't have that relationship, if you don't have that dialogue, if you don't have where, man, my refuge is in him. Storms are coming. Issues are rising. People are talking about me. But I'm going to find refuge in him. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to address that. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go to the Father because I know where my Father is. How do we change? We recognize that relationship begins where you're at. There was a moment where that young man eating the pig slop goes, I need to go back to my father. How do we change? We decide. I need to go back to my father. I need to grow. I need to get stronger. I need to get healthy again. I need to know what he thinks of me. And even then, sometimes our mindset isn't right. We come like, oh, low, and oh, he, he's going to hate me. And he, he's probably going to throw me out after I sin one more time. And all the while, God is running, waiting for you. He's looking out for you. Where is he? See, he's not the one that changed. He's not the one that moved. He's not the one that's lost. It's us. And so he's waiting. He's sitting on the porch. He's like, where are they? He sees you from a distance. He sees you coming. And so he starts running to you. He says, forget that language. You're my son. You're my daughter. And you are home. And let's throw a party. And he'll do it every day if he has to. Because he loves you that much. We change when we recognize we are truly a son and a daughter. When we stop thinking the way the world tells us to think, that somehow we have to earn our way into his presence. We have to earn our way into his kingdom. No, no, no. We simply receive his love. That's why we say it all the time to lead people to know the love of Jesus. Because if we lead them there and they grab hold of the love of Christ... They'll understand that it will never let them go. So how do we encounter Jesus? We know how we change now. We got to decide. We got to run to him. How do we encounter Jesus? We begin with the reverent act of admiring God for being God. I love the songs this morning. I know our drummer's sick, so he's not here, so it's a little quieter, but the songs were perfect because it was all about putting our attention 
on the Lord. It was all about revering the Lord, all about admiring and exalting the Lord. We have to understand how we encounter Christ is we put him in the proper seat of authority. He is Lord of all creation, heaven and earth. He breathed air in your lungs. He is your creator. I posted something on social media this week. I was in a conversation with someone. They were talking about mental health, and I'm very much pro, like, you know, get yourself healthy mentally, spiritually. But I told him, I said, well, are, you, are you spending time with the Lord, though? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm taking the day off. I'm trying to get my mind right. I said, yeah, but are you spending time with the Lord, though? Because taking a mental health day and not spending time with the one that created your mind is not healthy. It's not healthy. So you might think you're taking a mental health day, but if you're not spending time with Jesus, the one who created your brain, then what you're doing is not healthy because all you're doing is putting all the attention on you. And all the praise belongs to him. All the glory belongs to him. We exalt his name, not Matt's name. We exalt his name. So how do we encounter Jesus? We begin with reverence for the Lord. We begin with honoring who he is. The pursuit of God will embrace the labor of bringing our entire being and our personality into conformity to his. That's just a long way of saying when you pursue God, you want to be more like him and less like you. When you pursue God, you want to look, sound, act, and talk more like him and less like you because you is what got you in trouble. It's quiet in this church this morning. Simply put, you have to work at forcing yourself to ask this simple question. I want to challenge you this morning to ask this simple question. Whenever you're going through stuff, whenever you're about to make a decision, whenever you're trying to figure out what to do, how do I handle this? How do I respond? Do I punch this kid in the face for landing on my son? What do I do? Ask this question. Does this please the Lord? It's simple. It's so simple, it just might work. Does this please the Lord? Because if it makes you feel good, but it angers the Lord, it's not good. Man, it's quiet in this church this morning. Did we start late or something? Everybody here? You have to understand that if you put your attention on the Lord, you're taking it off of you. Amen. That's the best place to be. That's the best place to live. That's how your mind gets right. Because let's be honest. 
The reason we have so much widespread mental health issues is because our culture has taught us to put all the attention right here on us. And we are imperfect. And we compare ourselves to everyone else. And I have seen too many people comparing themselves, judging themselves based on other people. I've seen too many churches comparing themselves to other churches. I mean, I see it all the time. And I'm like, why are we doing this? Here, let me just tell you, hey, I had fun at the taqueria, man. That's what my Facebook's for. Come and join me. In every situation in life, you need to ask one question. Here's the secret. Does this please the Lord? You got a job opportunity. Ask the question, does this please the Lord? You're going to buy something. Go do something. Does this please the Lord? You got a problem with someone, how you respond, how you handle it. Does this please the Lord? When you learn to do that, you begin to change. When you learn to do that, you begin to encounter the Lord differently. We encounter Jesus, listen, when we get our egos out of the way and we get our plans out of the way. Ultimately, every day, we need to kill our pride so that we can see and hear God more clearly. Our hearts need to be clear. Our mouths need to say that God is exalted above all. See, the problem was when Lucifer in heaven had a problem and he didn't know how to properly honor God and he wanted the honor for himself and it caused problems, it caused chaos. Ultimately, this is the problem with all humanity. We have pride and we need to kill our pride. So how do we overcome our own failure? These are good questions. How do we overcome our own failure? How do we come, hey man, man, I've messed it up too much. I've struggled so much. I've got this problem, this problem, this problem. How do we overcome our own failure? I've failed so many times. How, how does God even trust me again? How does my family even trust me again? How do I even get better at this? What do I do? How do I overcome failure? Here's the quick answer. You don't have to. Jesus already did that. You can't overcome your failure. He overcame your failure for you. That's why you need to put your attention on him. See, you're still thinking, what do I need to do to fix all of this? Just simply exalt him. Take the attention off of you. Exalt the Lord. God is after holiness, not perfection. What's the difference? This means that it's the intentions and the attitudes of your heart that God looks at. The Bible is very clear. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. We can only judge 
a person by their actions, we can't really judge their motives. And if they can't find a motive and they heard about being a lawyer, they have to find a motive why they did what they did. And if they can't find a motive and they can't prove that motive, that person is not convicted because it's so difficult to find motive. We can't really judge people by their motives. We can judge them by their actions, right? And so this means that your intentions, your attitudes of the heart have to be towards God. That's how you become holy. You don't become perfect. There's no way you're going to get it right every single step of the way. But if you can learn to get your heart right in tune with him, everything starts to change. Let me give you some examples. Abraham, David, Daniel, Jacob, Elijah, Matt. All people who proclaim God's word all failed. All messed it up big time. Murderers, liars, fornicators, adulterers, stealers, all these things. They are horrible situations and horrible pain they caused. And yet God still honored them. Why? Because when they messed up, they learned that going back to the Father was the only way things change. See, God said, I give grace to the humble, but I oppose the proud. If you're too prideful to admit when you're wrong and run back to God, he will oppose you. He will fight you on that. But when you are humble and you say, man, I've messed up. Help me, Lord. He welcomes you. Much like that prodigal son running back home, he welcomes you with open arms because he saw in his eyes, he saw in his face, he is humbled, he is different, he is changed, he is contrite, he wants to be here, he doesn't care what he has to do to be here, and even though I could make him go and earn his way back, I'm going to put him right back where he left as a son in my household. We've all messed up really bad. But as long as we continue to run back to the Father, He continues to make us holy. Holiness is about how you respond to your sinfulness. When you mess up, how you respond determines your holiness. How you respond to that situation determines your heart and your attitude. And if you have the right heart, if you had the right attitude, God can come through. It's when you honor God from your heart, even after you've made some really bad decisions. That's what holiness looks like. It doesn't mean the consequences disappear. I had a dear friend of mine, a man that I've known my whole life. He was a pastor when he passed away. I remember many years ago, probably about 10, 15 years ago, he had open heart surgery. He was in his 40s. He had open heart surgery like in his 30s because of many, many years of drug abuse and alcoholism before he knew the Lord. He finally gets saved, he comes to the Lord, he becomes an amazing evangelist. I mean, this guy can preach to you 
at a drop of a hat, he pretty much memorized the Bible. Amazing man of God. I remember having the privilege of uh, teaching his kids in, in my youth ministry back in the day. Some of his kids were a part of my band back in the day. Amazing family. He ended up becoming a pastor, starting his own church. His wife and kids are with him. It's growing. It's going amazing. They're like three, four years into the ministry as a heart attack and dies. Because even though he was a man of God, even though he got his life right, the consequence of his past sins still remain. Doesn't mean your consequences leave. It just means your heart is now in the right place. Because look what happened to him. Imagine if he never got his real heart in the right place, dying so young, in his 40s. But his heart was so because of all the abuse he put it through. I'm telling you today, you have a decision. You can choose how you proceed. Let's read that text one more time. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. You got to understand that he fulfills the purpose for you. You have to walk in it. He fulfills it. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God. Above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps, my soul bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make a melody. He's choosing to worship. He's choosing to lift his voice and sing. Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. See, David was a musician. That's how he chose to fight back through his gift, through his music. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Exalt the Lord in all things. Exalt the Lord. Put all the focus, put all the attention on him. The best thing you can do is to put all the attention on him. The worst thing you can do is to put all the attention on you. Pride gets in the way of exalting God. This is the last thing I'll say. This is the last thing that we got to nail down. Pride gets in the way of exalting God. Because ultimately pride makes you want to exalt you. Pride makes you want to exalt your problem. Pride makes you want to exalt your emotions. Pride makes you want to exalt everything but him. 
So how do we know? How can we identify pride? I wrote down four quick ways you can identify pride in your life. Number one, when you seek attention from people rather than God. Number two, when you elevate yourself by talking bad about others. That's pride. Number three, when you desire to be honored by people more than you desire to be honored by God. That's pride. And last one, when you worship, you serve, you give, and you talk to gain favor with people, but you don't do it to gain favor with God. That's pride. I don't know if you fall on those lists on that list at all. I know I do. But you can get pride in your life. So how do I do that? How do I restore relationship with God? Just like the prodigal son. You recognize your need for the Father. You recognize that you need God. You need Him in your life. Your children need Him. Your family needs Him. We throw ourselves at God's feet and humble ourselves before Him. You want things to change? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Go to Him and say, Father, I messed up. I'm the one that's in the wrong. Help me. Humble yourself. Number three, we exalt him above our own desires. You have to. You have to sacrifice and surrender every desire you've ever had. You have to be willing to put it on the altar. You have to be willing to say, God, it's yours. And then let him do what he wants to do with it. We exalt him above our own desires. And the last one, when we genuinely begin to worship God for just being God and not what he can do for us. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.